Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. We're here on Good News Tuesday, and hopefully we actually have some, because as you know, people like to report on the not-so-good news. Watch out, the world's on fire. So, let's go ahead and turn that off, reset that, and today on Before Coffee. Shameful loss, wolves declared extinct in Andalusia. And we remember Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman goes on that big adventure in the sky. Protests erupt in Bulgaria after attacks on woman by ex-partner deemed mild. And good news Newsday, we have plastic that can save the world. And Mexico, oh, the Mexican city of Chihuahua bans misogynist lyrics in live music venues. And more good news Newsday, Frigid Maine sold so many heat pumps they were past their goals two years early today on the first day of august that's right august 1st 2023 on before coffee man it's august All right, let's go ahead and start our new first news story as it's supposedly going to get hot soon, even though it's already been hot this whole time (laughs) in the weather. Right. (laughs) It was a joke. A small joke. This is from Stephen Burhin in Barcelona on The Guardian. For centuries, wolves have roamed the mountains of Andalusia in southern Spain. But after years of decline, the creature has been officially declared extinct in the region. Since 2003, the regional government has carried out a census of the wolf Canis lupus cigatus population in an effort to monitor the species and reduce conflict with the local population, farmers in particular. However, in a report, the Andalusian government's environmental department says that since 2020, there has been no sign of the wolves being present in Andalusia in spite of it being a protected species. Up until at least 2010, it was estimated that there were six to eight wolf packs in the region, mostly in the Sierra Morena, comprising of 56 individuals. Despite the wolves being declared extinct only now, experts say that there has not been any evidence of wolves in Andalusia since 2013, and probably no reproductive group since 2003. This is bad news, and it confirms the negative trend for the few existing wolf packs in southern Spain, which are threatened by being physically and genetically isolated from wolves in the rest of Spain, by loss of habitat, poaching, and illegal hunting, says Luis Suarez, the conservative coordinator for the World Wildlife Fund in Spain. The shameful loss of wolves in Andalusia is directly related to the lack of political will on the part of the regional government to adopt conservation measures, Suarez said, added. It is comprehensible that, despite a situation that goes back decades, the wolf has not been listed as a species in danger of extinction, and there's been no recovery plan, he said. Had it been categorized as in danger of extinction, the Andalusian government would have been legally obliged to take measures to protect the local wolf population. 
Suarez said that the years, for years the government had been paralyzed by fear of confrontation with the hunting lobby and livestock farmers had limited itself to monitoring the wolf population. Now it is a reasonable responsibility. Now it has a responsibility to get to work to guarantee the return of the species to the southern mountain as soon as possible, he said. There is no time for excuses. Spain has Europe's largest wolf population. In the mid-19th century, there were about 9,000 wolves distributed throughout the country. A policy of eradication meant that by the 1970s, only a few hundred remained. When poisoning was outlawed in the 1970s, the species began to recover. In most recent census, in 2021, there were between 2,000 to 2,500 wolves in 297 packs, 90% of which were in the northwest, principally in Castilla y Leon, Galicia, and Asturias, where they enjoyed protected species status that has banned wolf hunting since 2021. Spanish government wolf recovery plan announced in 2021 aimed for the 80% increase in the population from 297 to 350 packs. However, a study published last year by the National History Museum in Madrid suggests that official estimates of Spain's wolf population are overly optimistic and that numbers are much lower than claimed. Populations are typically assessed over a period of two years, which is insufficient to determine within a significant margin of error error whether a population is increasing, in decline, or stable," said Victoria Gonzalez, a researcher on the project. So while Brussels is fighting to make sure wolves exist in Belgium, the Spanish wolves are at a threat. So, on to uh, your, net, your story, I guess. Remember, we can't live without our predators. We yep. cannot. They do a vital service of wiping all those herbivores that kill our trees and vegetation. Okay, they don't wipe them out. They just control the population. Yeah. We don't want to wipe anybody out. <laughs> and uh, sad news, uh, Pee Wee Herman, actor Paul Rubin has died. The actor and comedian whose career character, this is from AP News, Mr. Andrew Dalton. Paul Rubens, the actor and comedian whose character Pee Wee Herman became a cultural phenomenon through films and TV shows, has died. Rubens died Sunday night. Wait, Rubens died Sunday night after a six year struggle with cancer that he did not make public. The actor and comedian whose Pee Wee Herman character, an overgrown child with a tight gray suit and an unforgettable laugh, became a 1980s pop cultural phenomenon as died at 90. Rubens, whose character delighted fans in the film Pee Wee's Big Adventure and on the series Pee Wee's Playhouse, died Sunday night after a six-year struggle with cancer that he kept private. Please accept my apology for not going public with what I've been facing the last six years, Rubens said in a statement released Monday with the announcement of his death. I have always felt a huge amount of love and respect for my friends, fans, and supporters. I have loved you all so much, enjoyed making art for you. Created for the stage, Pee Wee with his white chunky loafers and red bow tie would become a cultural constant in both adult and children's entertainment for much of the 1980s. Though an indecent exposure arrest in 1990 would send the character into entertainment exile for years. Uh, he got caught uh, masturbating at an adult film uh, uh, movie. But, like, isn't that what they're for? Yeah, I'm like, uh, 
what do you think people are doing there? Yeah. I don't know. What's the guy in the raincoat doing over there? I don't know, uh, sleeping. The staccato giggle that punctuated every sentence catchphrases like, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, what am I? And tabletop dance to the champs tequila <laughs> in a biker bar in Pee Wee's Big Adventure were often imitated by fans to the joy of some and to the annoyance of others. Yeah, I know a guy that wanted to wake up in uh, dinosaurs on that movie. I knew. There's a there's a there's a restaurant out on Cabazon, California, out on Interstate 10, right? Yeah. It's in that movie. It's got dinosaurs all over the outside of the restaurant, and in the movie he wakes up in a dinosaur. Let's stop there and do that. He always wanted to do that. Okay, dude, you're a marine. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> you're Romans. a marine. Get held to yourself. <laughs> Rubens created Pee Wee when he was part of the Los Angeles improv group The Growlings in the late 1970s. The live Pee Wee Herman show debuted in Los Angeles Theater in 1981 and was a success with both kids during matinees and adults at the Midnight Show. The sh they did have a lot of adult innuendo for a child show, I just gotta <laughs> say. The show closed resembling the format the Saturday morning TV show Pee Wee's Playhouse which would follow years later with Herman living in a wind and wet, wild and wacky home in a series of stock character visitors, visitors including Captain Carl, played by late, late Saturday Night Live star Phil, Hart, Phil Hartman. Yeah, I remember Phil Hartman was on that show. HBO would air the show as a special. Flowers of Mementos sitting near the star. I know, it's a picture. Never mind. Rubens took a Pee-wee adventure to the big screen in 1985's Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which takes the character outside the nationwide escapade. The film in which Pee-wee's cherished bike is stolen was said to be loosely based on Vittorio De Sacca's Italian neo-realist classic The Bicycle Thief, directed by Tim Burton and, and co-written by Hartman. The movie was a success, grossing $40 million and continued to spawn a cult following its oddball whimsy. A sequel followed three years later and a less than well-received Big Top Pee-wee, in which Pee-wee seeks to join the circus. Rubens' character wouldn't get another movie starring role until 2016's Pee-wee's Big Holiday for Netflix. Judd Apatow produced Pee-wee's Big Screen Revival. His television series Pee-wee's Playhouse ran for five seasons, earned 22 Emmys, and, and attracted not only children but adults to Saturday morning TV. It's like Bullwinkle in the way that they were just insinuating adult situations yeah. that kids were never going to get. What does he mean by that? They the thing is funny. Jimmy Kimmel posted on Instagram that Paul Rubens was like no one else, a brilliant and original comedian who makes kids and their parents laugh at the same time. He never forgot a birthday and shared his genuine delight with silliness with everyone he met. Both silly and submersive and championing nonconformity, the Pee Wee universe was a trippy place populated by things like talking armchair and friendly, uh, the friendly pterodactyl. <laughs> Director Guillermo del Toro tweeted Monday that Rubens was one of the platoon of saints of all misfitted, weird, maladjusted, wonderful, miraculous oddities. I always compared that show to Captain Kangaroo if Captain Kangaroo had dropped some acid. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what it was. Yeah. Born Paul Rubenfield in Peekskill, New York in 1952, the eldest of three kids, he grew up in Sarasota where his parents ran a lamp, lamp store and he put on comedy shows for neighboring kids. After high school, he 
He sought to study acting. He spent a year at Boston University. He was then turned down to Juilliard School and Carnegie Mellon and Carnegie Mellon University. So he enrolled at California Institute of Arts. That would lead to appearances at local comedy clubs and theaters and joining the Groundlings. Paul's contributions to comedy and entertainment have left a lasting impact on the world and he was greatly missed by all the Groundlings community, a group said in a statement. In 1991, after the 91 arrest, he would spend the decade playing primarily non-Pee-wee characters, including roles in Burton's 1992 Batman Returns, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and a guest star run on the TV series Murphy Brown. He also appeared in 1999 comedy film Mystery Men and Johnny Depp's 2001 drug dealer drama Blow. That's a good movie, Blow. Mm. Rubens, who never lost his boyish appearance, even in his 60s, would slowly reintroduce Pee-wee, eventually doing a Broadway adaptation of Pee-wee Herman's show in 2010 and in the 2016 movie. Rubens was beloved by his fellow comedians and fans of Pee-wee's band the culture. He was surreal, comedy, and unrelenting kindness were a gift to us all. Conan O'Brien tweeted, Damn, this hurts. The end. Man. Actually, I can't think of any other character actors that exist in th this day and age, right? He was a character actor, right? He was Kiwi. There's not that, really people who do that these days. Yeah. Yeah, we lost Peewee. Okay. Too bad. Too bad. In news from Bulgaria, this was from AFP in Sofia. The protests about a woman's ex-partner deemed mild. Thousands of Bulgarians have taken the streets to protest against violence against women after a harrowing case of a teen cut hundreds of times shocked the Balkan nation. Jeez. Approximately 5,000 people demonstrated in Sofia, while protests also took place in other cities across the country, where rallies over violence against women are rare. The demonstrations were prompted by a case in which an 18-year-old woman was attacked a month ago. She said her ex-boyfriend cut her hundreds of times, broke her nose, and shaved off her hair. A court in the central city of Stada Zagora, hearing the case, qualified injuries as light and did not order a 26-year-old detained. You don't think it's a little crazy to do that to somebody? Just a little bit? Didn't think that? Oh, maybe this guy needs to be in jail just a little bit to for the safety of society. Under pressure, authorities have since detained the man, who denies attacking the woman over sending threatening text messages to her. Protesters on Monday called for judicial overhaul and better protection for women, carrying posters that read, not a single woman more. How is it possible that such sadism is labeled as mild bodily injury? The reaction of the court is shocking. Emilia Stoyanova, 39, who works in human resources, told AFP, the traditional tolerance of domestic violence, the dysfunction of institutions must change. It has started to change, but society needs to get involved, said another protester, a 33-year-old painter who only gave his name as Ivan. 18 women were killed suspectedly by men they knew in the first three months of this year, according to the police statistics. By active, but activists estimate there are many more victims. They have been fighting for legislative amendments to better protect women from abusive partners or ex-partners. Bulgaria has so far refused to ratify the Istanbul Convention, a key international text aimed at protecting women from violence. In June, the European Union joined the convention in a move that extended some obligations to member states that refused to ratify it. 
Bulgaria, an EU member since 20, 2007. Others have not ratified the ob- and others who have not ratified it object to the use of the word gender in the Istanbul Convention. Oh my god. They're so transphobic. They're like, I don't care if women get murdered because we need to make sure we're talking about women women, not fake women. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, Bulgaria is famously uh, transphobic. I think I have a friend who lives there, so... Trying to get out of uh, the dark ages. Not yeah. It's like, okay, we don't want anybody to get murdered. How about that? Sorry, we made it gender specific specific. Anyways, your story. Oh. <laughs> that's that's it, we're done. Okay, so let me get my story up. Cause I had it down, I was watching your camera here. Alright. Let's talk about plastics. Do you remember the movie The Graduate? Yes. Son? Plastics. That was, part, that was one of those famous lines. Well, the plastics are the future. And this is by the Good News Network. Don't have a person's name on it. So we're just going to read the story and the say, hey, this is from the Good News Network. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get rid of the pictures and make it easier to read. Okay. Scientists at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory developed a new and infinitely, infinitely recyclable plastic that could be the answer to the world's growing problem. They've engineered microbes that make the ingredients for a sustainable alternative to 90% of the plastics that currently be recycled, many of which use finite, polluting petrochemicals as building blocks. The California research team has successfully engineered microbes to make biological alternatives for the starting ingredients of an infinitely recycled plastic known as polydicotonamide or PDK. This is the first time that bioproducts have been integrated to make PDK that is predominantly bio-based, said project leader Dr. Brett Helms. Good old Dr. Brett. This is the first time, okay. And it's the first time that you see a bio-advantage over using petrochemicals, both in respect to the materials, properties, and costs of producing at scale. He explained that, unlike plastics, PDK can be repeatedly deconstructed into pristine building blocks and formed into new products with no loss in quality. PDKs initially use building blocks derived from petrochemicals, but those ingredients can be redesigned and produced with microbes instead. Now, after four years of trying, researchers have manipulated E. coli to turn sugars from plants into some of the starting materials, a molecule known as triactic acid lactone, or biotol, and produced a PDK with roughly 80% biocontent. We just demonstrated that the pathway to 100% biocontent in recyclable plastics is feasible, said Jeremy DeMarteau, a project scientist on the team. You'll see that from us in the future. He said PDKs can be used for several products, including adhesives, flexible items such as computer cables or watch bands, or even building materials. Researchers were surprised to find that incorporating biotol into the material expanded its working temperature range by 60 degrees Celsius compared to petrochemical uh, version, so it's more flexible. To, to say that 
opens the door to using PDKs in items that need specific working temperatures, including sports gear and automotive parts, such as bumpers or dashboards. We we can't keep using our dwindling supply of fossil fuels, said Professor Jay Kiesling, senior facility scientist at Berkeley Labs Biosciences area. We want to keep help solve the plastic waste problem by creating materials that are both bio-renewable and circular and providing an incentive for companies to use them. Then people could have the products they need the time they need them before the items are transformed into something new. This study, published in the Nash Journal of National Nature Sustainability, also builds on a 2021 environmental and technological analysis which showed that PDK plastic could be commercially competitive with conventional plastics if produced at a large scale. It's all scale, man. Corine... I'm sorry. Corine Scowney, staff scientist at Berkeley's lab, Energy technologies areas added our new results are extremely encouraging we found that the even the modest improvements in the production process we could soon be making bio-based pdk plastics that are both cheaper and emit less co2 than those made with fossil fuel your story for okay. good news news day someday we're gonna have just plastic for our food how <laughs> at this point we okay. need a lot of plastic now. And I guess slightly good news. Mexico is or Mexican City of Chihuahua is banning misogynist lyrics. This is from Martha Busby with the help banning. of the Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation mm. on The Guardian. Authorities in the northwestern Mexican state of Chihuahua have banned artists from singing misogynist lyrics in live music venues. Chihuahua, the capital city of the state, which borders the U.S., has passed a measure to prohibit musicians from performing songs that promote violence against women. That means the popular Puerto Rican reggaeton star Bad Bunny, whose concert sold out in the country last year, and Mexico's most streamed artist, Peso Pluma, a leader of the narco ballad genre, might not be welcomed thanks to their bragging and misogynist lyrics. Councillor Patricia Ulate from the Pan Party, which introduced the reform to the Municipal Council, said that the harsh realities, including serious violence against women and an enduring culture of machismo, had motivated lawmakers to act last week against the promotion of gender violence. Transgressors face a fine up to 55,000 pounds, or 1.2 million pesos, with money raised donated to municipal movements programs and domestic violence shelters. Hey, if you want to talk about beating up your bitch, at least give us money to help the real ones out there, okay? It's nice that it's being donated to help the people who are actually suffering. If you're gonna, if you're gonna rap about doing that, at least it's being donated somewhere. They should picture the same thing happening to their mothers and their lap lyrics. Legislators insisted that the laws was not intended to target any particular music genre. Chihuahua is one of the five municipalities in the state with a gender alert declared due to high rates of structural violence against women, said Ulate, the head of the City Commission on Women, Families, and Gender Equality. Any action that contributes to eradicating these circumstances counts. The amendment to licensing laws will apply to even events regulated by the municipality. Reported domestic abuse in the city has been steeply rising. The municipality mayor, Marco Bonilla, 
said financial penalties would be imposed on whoever sings songs that promote violence against women. He called such violence a pandemic, with seven out of every ten calls to the city police related to violence within the family. Live music, which objectified and sexualized women, would be considered violence, said Bonilla. The Mexican president, Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador, last month affirmed the right of musicians to sing whatever they want, but criticized artists who glorify violence and drug use. We are not going to remain silent when they say that ecstasy pills are good and that they have 50 caliber weapons, and that their idols are the most famous drug, drug traffickers. The Chihuahua State Congressman Francisco Sanchez from the Citizens Movement Party spoke out about the ban as useless and retrograde. He told local media, it threatens freedom and even runs counter to the Article 6 of the Constitution that defends the manifestation of ideas. Stop right there. They are freely allowed to sing about whatever they want, but they do have to pay the fine if they want to, okay? That's their payment. That's their consequence. They are still freely allowed to pay anything. If they don't want to pay the 55,000 pounds or 1.2 million pesos, they can just not sing the song or change the lyric. You know? Or maybe get get something approaching talent or do something you're good at. (laughs) In 2015, the city of 1 million people banned... Rappers can't sing. They don't have talent. Yeah. In 2015, the city of 1 million people banned the playing of music advocating crime at public events. A popular band in Mexico, Los Tigres del Norte, was fined 500,000 pesos or 23,000 pounds in 2017 after performing a song about drug trafficking. Cancun, a popular tourist destination on the East Coast that has been the site of cartel violence, took measures in May to ban concerts featuring lyrics promoting violence. Ciudad Juarez, 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 I literally lived across this place and I can't say it, in the largest city by population in Chihuahua State has become notorious for systematic sexual femicide. Veronica Corchado, a woman's right advocate in the city, has said, the reality is that we have a gender violence problem that cannot be unseen. Women have to be part of a political decision-making on everyday basis so women can have better opportunities, a voice, an opinion, and political aspects on everyday issues. Yeah, just like, stop doing that to people, please. Thank you. <laughs> it's not too much to ask for. Um, that's the end of our, our news on Mexico and not being misogynistic in your lyrics well, so I that know. you don't tell little boys, hey... Beating your bitch hey. is totally okay. Yeah, it's not. Exactly. Raise a generation of morons. One way nobody likes me. Hmm. Could it be my misogyny? Okay, and then I don't know what the, the Mexican Constitution says, but in America, the freedom of speech is not absolute. No. So, if you're if you're uh, if you're putting out movies, they will take it down. They put out movies with lots of uh, wanton violence. They will just not. They'll take it down. They will. Censors well, theaters will. have the, like, for theaters have the freedom to not show your movie in the theater. I don't want right. to show that movies, in my theater. Right. Uh, radios do not play explicit lyrics. They yeah. never have. So yeah, freedom of speech is limited. The FCC limits it. So. I'm all in favor of it, tell you the truth. I don't see any value in this music. I never have. I never saw a value in, like, I like rap. I just, why are you always singing about how great you are and how many women you can bag and how much, yeah, I got it. 
you know, I got this and I got that. It's like, that shit goes away, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a religious person, but you know that shit ain't real. Yeah. It's just fucking stuff to make you feel good about yourself. And singing about it just makes you look like a clown. And that's what I thought all that stuff always was. You're a clown. You ain't got nothing. Oh, you got a bunch of people thinking that you got something. You just talk. It's just talk. Yeah. That's why I don't like rap. It just, it, it exploits this culture owning stuff and owning stuff and owning more stuff. And it's like, no, the, ah, the only hip hop and rap I listen to are the ones that are about like, uh, almost biographical about them, their lives. So they may talk oh, about yeah. those things, but like in a, you know, yeah. I was living on the streets and I didn't want to be living on the streets, you know? <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Informative stuff that's telling you a story, not just like, well, I got the baddest car and the most bitches and I don't <laughs> care. I'm paraphrasing. Rush rap albums all those, coming out next year. Song, <laughs> and they make nobody want to listen to your music. Nobody wants to hear that. It's like famously Kid Rock got famous yelling about being Kid Rock. And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> you ain't nobody, dude. You're still nobody. Yeah. You're still some guy with no talent. I'm sorry. You couldn't make it in the music business uh, as a musician, so you became a rapper. That's it, that guy. So anyway, I don't want to rag on Kid Rock, even though he has it coming. <laughs> even though he has it coming. <laughs> All right. My last good twos news day. In Frigid Maine, so many heat pumps. This is from the Good News Network. Uh, they just don't put in uh, any... Oh, no, this one is Andy Corbley. Seems like I get him a lot. Frigid Maine, so many heat pumps were sold last year. Governor Janet Mills announced that Maine has, two years ahead of time, surpassed his goal of installing 100,000 new heat pumps by 2025. A milestone that represents significant progress, reducing Maine's reliance on heating oil, lowering heating costs, and curbing harmful carbon emissions. To continue Maine's momentum, Governor Mills also unveiled a new target, installing another 175 additional heat pumps in Maine by 2027, thereby bringing the number of heat pumps installed in Maine homes, businesses, and public buildings during her time in office to $275,000. If this target is achieved, Maine would have more than 320 heat pumps in total installed across the state. Heat pumps can be thought of as temperature recycling machines. They are filled with refrigerant fluid and contain a compressor. They work by extracting SX heat and moving it around, either in or out of a house, depending on whether it's hot or cold. It is believed that they work best in hot weather, but, but in February, Maine's temperatures in some places plummeted during a cold snap to negative 60. Efficiency Maine, which aided the state's adoption of heat pumps by organizing rebates for customers under provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act, did a survey of the owners that they had helped the previous year. Many of them reported that they're comfortable and warm and offering to bring up the fact that by February, they already saved hundreds of dollars on home heating systems over boilers, gas furnaces, and heating oil, and cutting their carbon footprint. We are setting an example for the nation, said Mills. You sure are. In an announcement event, our transition to, to heat pumps is curbing our reliance on fossil fuels and cutting costs for Maine families, all the while making them more comfortable in their homes. A hat trick for us, for this, for our state. For the uninitiated, the hat trick is when you score three goals in a yeah. hockey game or a soccer game. Very rare with soccer. It does happen in the hockey, though. 
The transition began in 2019 on bipartisan support for legislature when Governor Mills enacted laws setting ambitious targets for transitioning to renewable energy and renewable energy and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And that's short but sweet. Good news Newsday story from Maine. Okay. Well, in culture news, though we've already covered a lot of that today with festivals and uh, Pee Wee Herman, let's yeah. look at how influencers are ruining everything. This is a opinion piece by Manuela Lazic on The Guardian. Who needs film credits? When studios can be sure influencers will praise their films. Feel free to share your positive feelings about the film on Twitter after the screening, said the usher introducing London's press preview screening of Barbie, Greta Gerwig's Mattel-produced film. The embargo for reviews, however, would not be lifted until two days later, close to the film's release. The audience generally didn't bat an eyelid, and it wasn't the first time my colleagues and I had to hear such directives, yet we, we, yet we were left feeling censored. If they won't allow for our negative reactions, why should they get our positive ones? The purpose of this strategy barely needs specifying. In addition to the film's omnipresent marketing campaign, positive reactions on social media were to seal the deal and ensure that the most dubious potential spectators would be persuaded to turn up to the cinema on the opening weekend, the most crucial days for a film's box office success. The fact that the audience at this preview screening consisted mostly of influencers was another blatant marketing strategy, which would not have been as insulting were it not for the fact that it meant many film critics were unable to see the film before its release. The phenomenon occurred in other cities as well. A few days before the film's release, Parisian writers were dumbfounded to see some colleagues sharing glowing takes on the film on Twitter, after being told there would be no advanced screenings for any of the press. Moreover, there were what were presented as exclusive interviews with the cast turned out to be pre-recorded and pre-approved by the studio. Ahead of its release, the film was only to be seen through pink-tinted glasses. While it is customary for film studios to try to control the narrative by organizing advanced screenings, if they believe in a film or avoiding them, if they don't, the methods employed for the release of Barbie were more extreme. They are symptomatic of a trend that has been evolving over the past few years that concerns not only film criticism profession, but culture at a large. If all discussions of films merits before release is left to influencers whose driving ambition to receive free merchandise by speaking well of the studio's pr products, what can we expect the film landscape to look like? Yeah. Where will engaging, challenging, and if not completely unbiased, and at least impartial conversation about cinema take place? How is the audience to think critically of what is being sold to it? If it isn't the news that many people perceive critics as pessimistic writers and frustrated artists who never like anything, thanks Ratatouille. If critics can seem harsh, however, it's because they love cinema and want what's best for it. They want it to be artful and life-changing as it can be, rather than a purely commercial enterprise meant to make us buy more things. Well, I mean, what are you expecting from a Barbie movie, just to be clear, right? is live yes <laughs> where was i oh life-changing rather than a purely commercial enterprise meant to make us buy more things but even the that cliche has changed lately as the writers and actors strike began in an attempt to get streamers and studios to remunerate workers properly and to cast a crew found themselves unable to promote their work 
Many wondered whether film critics continuing to write reviews would be crossing the picket line, further evidence that the difference between critics and PRs is blurring in the public consciousness. Somehow, we have gone to other end of the spectrum. A critic is now perceived as someone who loves every film, automatically and uncritically. More worrying still, some critics see themselves that way, avoiding ruffling any feathers. Internet backlash against unpopular opinions doesn't help. And instead of choosing to generate bloated excitement for a new release, the studios are partly responsible in inundating young, broke writers with extravagant film merchandise that they otherwise would never afford and taking off their mailing lists those who review their films negatively. But the problem runs deeper still. In a climate in which the film industry is already struggling and streamers, yes, them again, have worked hard to make films appear about as worthwhile as a YouTube or a TikTok video. <laughs> That's it. We need That's a movie review I can channel. agree with that. I can 100% agree with that. I just watched a movie last night before bed, and I was it, like, it, I felt like I just watched a YouTube video. Like, this was an animated real, film by a huge studio, and I felt like I just watched a really long YouTube video. <laughs> oh, my. Really? Yeah. Uh, it just it had no feeling in it. it there was no emotion. Uh. They... they the, the, the program emotions in there, the music swelling, the long gazes, you know, they're going to kiss. Yeah. But I felt nothing. I was dead inside. Pandering. So. Pandering, you watch, pandering, pandering. Yeah, pandering, pandering. Letting you watch thousands yeah. of them for a small subscription fee rather than paying the price of a cinema ticket for each one, it is tempting for film lovers to want to promote cinema at all costs. Why discourage more people from going to the movie theater with an unfavorable review? So... He kind of goes on a bit more. I don't know if I want to read the rest of this, um, but it's he's just like, you kind of get on. his point of view here, right? Yeah. Our jobs are being replaced by people who are just going to smile at the camera and go, oh my God, I enjoyed the new Barbie film. It was so fun. Uh, and I wore yeah, pink yeah. as well. Look at my outfit. And then it's just like, yeah, but what's the, what's the actual gusto yeah. of the film. Well, the gusto of the film is some sort of feminist critique yeah. on the patriarchy that also, for some reason, has a smallpox joke in it. I didn't like hearing about that. Oh. I did not like oh. hearing about that. I, I didn't, uh, I haven't seen it, but it isn't my type of movie. That's just, uh, I didn't play with Barbies as a kid, so how much am I going to be into it at 60? I didn't either, really. <laughs> uh, so, like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Film critics being replaced by sycophants. That's a that's a real problem. Yeah. Well, I love this movie. Look at my shirt. <laughs> <clears throat> I got a new hat and a new, you know, a retainer holder or whatever, you know, whatever retainer, makes them happy. A retainer holder. <laughs> I just grabbed something out of the air. Anyway, my guess is my story. Yeah. Uh, this day in history in BC. Wait, 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 wait. Well, God, we scrolled down to yesterday already, did we? Yeah, okay. In 10 BC, Roman Emperor Claudius I was born on this day. In 1714, Queen Anne, the last Stuart ruler of England, died at the age of 49. So basically, the end of the Stuart monarchy was on August 1st, 1714. And they got them rotten, stinking Hanovers. <laughs> Germans. Yeah, and... Of course, what, King George III was the one we fought for the revolution. He was a Hanover. Just think, it might have been history different if they would have found a different ruler, right? 
1744, John Baptiste, Baptiste Lamarck, a French biologist known for his theory that acquired traits are inheritable, an idea known as Lamarckism, was born in Byzantine Le Petit. In 1819, American writer Herman Melville was born. He wrote Moby Dick. 1876, Colorado was admitted to the Union, becoming a 38th state. Happy birthday, Colorado! Right on the centennial, huh? 1876. 1936, the Summer Olympics opened in Berlin and the efforts of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party to demonstrate the superiority of the Aryan race were undermined by the success of African-American athletes, notably Jesse Owens. 1940, John F. Kennedy's Why, Why England Slept, critical account of British military that became a bestseller, was published. In 1944, the final entry was recorded in the diary of Anne Frank, a Jewish oh, girl, God. two years in hiding during the Nazi occupation in the Netherlands. Well, that kind of goes hand in hand with the end of a uh, lot of stuff, huh? Mm -hmm. This day, Warsaw Uprising began in 1944, and the very same day, Polish underground tried to oust the German army and seize control of the city before it was occupied by the advancing Soviet army. After running out of supplies, the Poles were forced to surrender in October. So between Germany and Soviet Union occupying Poland, they had a brief uprising. Yeah, well, they were like, I don't want the Russians coming here 100%. Like, I'm already pissed about the Germans. <laughs> already too late. <laughs> too late. It's already too late, yeah, by 1944. 1966, Charles Whitman, another horrible act. A student ex-Marine fired down the clock tower campus at University of Texas, Austin, killing 14 people and wounding 31 others, one of whom later died from complications. It's one of the worst mass murders. It was probably the worst at the time in 1966, but we're the USA. We always excel at topping our last one. You know? 1980, Icelandic teacher and politician Vigdis Finnbogandukjar became the first president of Iceland. I, became oh, the I was first like, woman that has to be Nordic. I was like, okay. Woman president of Iceland. Yeah, you What'd said you do dotiar or daughter. It's daughter. It's the word for daughter. Oh, it's Finn. It, it, it's it's a name, no. It's F I N N B O G O. Yeah, how, yeah, the yeah. how Scandinavian it's, or Nordic people do naming is Finn they Bogget do. Daughter. Yeah, yeah. So they do. I'm I'm Raj daughter. I should be called Raj daughter, but I'm anyway, not. she looks. Yeah. She looks mighty young to be president of a country, but hey, it's Iceland. Yeah. The cable television network MTV debuted in 1981 with the broadcast the music video. Video killed the radio star by the Buggles. In 1987, Mike Tyson defeated Tony Tucker to become unanimous heavyweight champion. In 1996, American author George R.R. R. Martin published The Game of Thrones, the first oh. installment of that thing on HBO. 20, 2005, Fod, who became king of Saudi Arabia in 1982, died at age 82, was seated by his half-brother Abd Allah. And our featured event is in 18, 1589, Henry III of France was stabbed to death. Oh. King Henry III of France was stabbed this day in 1589 by Jacques Clement, a Jacobin friar, and died the next day after acknowledging his Bourbon ally, Henry of Navarine, 
Henry IV, a Huguenot as his successor. And birthdays today, Sam Mendes, English director, born in 1965. Eve, Eva Saint Laurent, French designer, 1936, born in 1936. Mir Khan Tahane, Israeli political extremist and rabbi, was born in 1932. Henrietta Locks, American medical patient. Henrietta Lacks, American medical patient, was born in 1920. I'm not sure what that means. She <laughs> must have died of something famous, I imagine. Uh, Herman Melville, we already mentioned him. And what day is it today? We know you want to know. I do want to know. And Oh, we do. We do. August is going to be August. People love giving the first of the month, so the first of the month's got a few. It's International Child Free Day. So oh, yeah. Woo! Somebody's giving away free children somewhere, so... What, what? Fuck them kids, as I say. <laughs> oh, it's like, don't have any kids? Oh, yeah, okay. like, I'm, I'm planning Let's on not having children. Let's stop the human race now. Yeah, okay. let's stop okay. it. It's over. Let's have fewer people for jobs so we all suffer. Yeah. World Lung Cancer Day. There you go. That'll eliminate the population even faster. Respect for Parents Day, which goes counter to not having kids. If you don't have kids, you're not a parent. You get no respect. So you go through your entire life with no respect. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh National Raspberry Cream Pie today. Hell yeah. I'm making that right now. If you don't now. have kids, you have nobody to tell it to. It's like, who cares? You grow up. <laughs> I'm good. Grouchy old non-kid having people. <laughs> National Raspberry Cream Pie Day. It is also National Night Out Day. So you people with all kids don't have to find a babysitter. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You never do, by the way. Because you don't have lives. You're just going, what is my meaning of my life? I have no meaning. <laughs> International Mahjong Day. If you don't want to play Mahjong, get out there and do it. I have no idea that game works. It looks like it looks like a fancy version of dominoes. I think I think but it I, has I could, something to do with math, a hundred percent, yeah. I'm sure I can't play it. <laughs> There's an anime on uh, it. You can watch the anime. If I were so inclined, which I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna find another. Oh, let me do something. I guess when I'm 105 and I'm captive in a Oh yeah, I suppose I'll play. National Girlfriend's Day. It's National Girlfriend's Day, so I'm calling up all my girlfriends. Child free with a girlfriend. Yeah, and it's World Scout Scarf Day. Scout Scarf. Uh, Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts were enough scouts. And oh, I guess okay. Girl Scouts, they all love scouts, right? Right? The scarfs? I have yeah. no idea. I guess it's Scout Scarf Day. Scout Scarf. And it's Luke Nasa. That's all it says. August 1st. Luke Nasa. We'll be looking that up. It's National Minority Donor Awareness Day. Minority Donor Awareness Day. Like, okay, you're a that's... minority and you donate an organ? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea either. Uh, it's just weird. Uh, I'm looking up Lug Nasa is a... Every year, Sunday, closest August 1st, the Celtic or Celtic Festival, Lugnasa, oh. kicks off the harvest season. All right. Harvesting in August. Okay. Time you know, you to get start into those fields, season. start getting your pumpkins. Yeah. Your corn's ready. I don't know. Yeah, if you're harvesting in August, 
What do you harvest in August? Maybe, Berries, maybe they have a different growing pattern in Celtic. That's what I'm saying. Your, your growing season is different. All right, that's it. That's all the days. All right. Well, this has been. Let me. Extremely long here. edition. This has been Allison here from the Netherlands. Excited about making my raspberry cream pie. And I will see you on Wednesday for some more wacky news out there. And this is Roger, who's child-free the natural way, letting them grow up <laughs> on August 1st, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.